Hello, everyone, and welcome back to In Our 1990s, uh, the podcast where we are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s. And uh, this week we're doing it without snow on the ground, really. Fuck. That was... Sorry to lead this this podcast off with a fuck, but uh, <laughs> that was real bad. I like snow. I don't like how Arkansas handles snow. No, we're not. I mean, we're better equipped for it than Texas, we found out. But uh, Well, not... we do not have privatized electrical grids. True, true. That's, but uh... also, in, in reality, the problem in Texas is that the way that water lines are run, it's based on the actual, like, temperate hardiness of the zones and so beyond any freezing or privatizing their water lines are shallow and they're shallow in the houses they're shallow in the ground which means when something hits a particularly like deep freeze they're not equipped for it because they historically haven't had to deal with it and this is the problem with climate change so if you have any opportunity to give to a Anyone who is raising money for relief in Texas, please do. Uh, one I want to I want to shout out is Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab, my favorite perfume oil company, has released three new scents, and all the profits go to uh, relief in Texas. So go to Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab, and you can help people out. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's talk about some straw. Oh fuck! <laughs> um, I I realize I don't like ska very much. I, I think I think I'm just not a happy person, which might be relative to the album I picked this week. Uh, listen to the specials. That's some pretty fucking dark ska. Okay, so like I like '80s ska, but like anything after the '80s, I'm just like mm-hmm. I so the first album we're doing this week is Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt uh, from which is 1995. Ska. Yeah, there's I mean there's some straight up ska on it, but it's <clears throat> it's very ska fusion. Yes. Um, it, I should have started with their first album, but I realized at the end of our last episode that I hadn't picked an album for next week yet. <laughs> and so this was the, the first one that popped into my head that wasn't like, that I felt like it was a good time for. Um, I, I did not like this album much or this band much when I first heard them. I thought Just a Girl was fine. I mean, it was there was a time around around when Just a Girl came out that the um, the radio or the CD player in my car broke, and so I could only listen to the radio. And whenever Just a Girl would come on, that was like my oasis in the like shitty world of radio at that time. Mm. So I I don't have completely I didn't go into this with completely negative feelings. I don't like Gwen Stefani. Um, she has always come off to me as like. Other people tell her, here's the trendy thing, you should do it. And I'm, I'm, I will fully admit that I have never stopped being bitter about Harajuku Girl See, and how it, wrong she got all of Japanese, like, fruits culture. But the thing is, I, I kind of appreciate that because it gave me the Franz Ferdinand mashup of What Are You Waiting For with White Wedding. Because the way they play What Are You Waiting For, he goes... Nice day for a white wedding as they're ending the song. And it just like starts because he's singing the song in a range that is not comfortable for him. And it's hard to down range that like down octave transpose. Yeah. Yeah. Transpose. Uh, what Stefani's singing because she's just all over the place and he was having problems with that. And then he just busts out white wedding. And I'm like, I love Alex Capranos <laughs> so much. And but yeah, I get you. And this album in particular um came out at a time when I was still living in Texas and it has a intense intense sense memory of eating gyros in my dad's car late at night because he got home from the car lot and we were he was like, I don't know what to get. And there was a chain, and I can't remember the name of the chain, of, of Euros restaurants in, in in Dallas, which that's pretty much what they they, they served. They were just like, they were Greek-inspired, but it was mostly Euros. And it was so good! To I'm Just a Girl, and Spiderweb, all that. Just this whole album was just like constantly 
what I associate with eating a gyros. <laughs> that is definitely a, a really specific memory to have about No Doubt. Uh, so this was their third album. Their first album was self-titled, and it came out in 1992. And it was from a from an artistic standpoint, I actually did go back and listen to it a little bit because I fucking hated that album the first time. I, I heard that before I heard Tragic Kingdom originally because the the drummer in my band, I have to this day, I don't know why he bought that album, but he just randomly bought it and played it in his car. And I was like, this sucks shit. And I went back and listened to it before this and, and it's actually totally okay. Um, it Like... It's definitely better than so, but but from all, so artistically it was fine. From every other standpoint, it was a disaster. It sold thirty thousand copies. It was like one one DJ it was given to said it would take an act of God to get me to play this. Um, it came out in nineteen ninety two, which was the height of grunge, and it's like a straw funk dance pop album. Mm-hmm. It could not have been a worse time to release that album and try to get it on mainstream radio. Like if they had stuck with straw clubs or like college radio, it, it probably would have done all right. Like places where that was still kind of appreciated. Well, like Gwen's voice just transcends ska. Like she doesn't really have a ska voice. You don't hear a lot of women singing ska. No, you don't. And the ska I like is sung by women. Uh, but this isn't isn't necessarily ska. And in that context, like Gwen Stefani has a great voice. Like she just has a very unique, powerful voice. You know, it, it's definitely. I mean, she doesn't sound like anyone else. I've never. I like. I've always been kind of take it or take it or leave it with her. She's she's fine. She. I don't have any particular enjoyment of listening I mean, to her. But I apply the same Morrissey situation to her. Like the the voice is what makes some of her music. And with Morrissey, if someone covers a Morrissey song, sometimes it doesn't work. Because they're not Morrissey. They don't have that presence and that sound. And the same comes with No Doubt, I think. People who try to cover No Doubt just don't do it justice because they don't have Gwen Stefani's sound. So they were signed to Interscope. um, And when they put the first album out and it bombed so hard, basically the label got really wishy-washy with them. And they submitted songs for a second album and the label literally rejected every single song they submitted they're like we're not going to put any of this out so what they did instead of throwing that stuff away was to self-record and release it in a weekend (laughs) they recorded a full album and just just released it themselves sold it at shows and it sold a hundred thousand copies and so when that happened the label was like okay, well, you showed the initiative on that and you sold way more records than... You sold enough records that we would have been happy if that had been your debut. So then then later it got... That album yeah. is called The Beacon Street Sessions and it got a... Or The Beacon Street Collection and it got an official release eventually. And then they were they followed that up with Tragic Kingdom, um, which was made at a really tumultuous time for them. Um... Eric Stefani quit the band. He but he wrote all the songs and basically all the lyrics on the first two albums, and all the song most of the music here on this album he wrote. When Stefani wrote started writing more of the lyrics on this album, and and then he quit before the album came out, and it caused some problems in the band because Gwen was like he should still be on the cover. He wrote all these songs, and the band was like no fuck him. He quit. And they eventually settled on putting him on the cover, but he is in the very back looking away from the camera. I, like I wondered photoshopped about in. <laughs> I wondered about the cover because it always seemed very weird. Yeah. And then um, Gwen Stefani and Tony Canal, who was the bassist, broke up. After they had been dating for seven years. And they broke up right after this came out. So a situation that would have killed... A lesser band, I think, but they kept going for a while before record labels finally got their wish and made Gwen Stefani a solo star. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole video, which video is it? Is it Don't Speak, where it's like the whole video is the the band getting cut out of pictures? 
I, and like they're making a they're making a photo shoot for like a magazine and it, the guy doing the design is like cutting the guys out and just putting Gwen's picture on everything. I thought that was I'm just a girl. It, it might be. It was one of the videos for this I, I, album. I'm, I'm it, clearly picturing it in my mind. Yeah. So. And and it's just like, oh man, it, it was already it was already right there. They were already resentful of <laughs> of what was happening. And I mean, you can even see it on this record cover where you know, the first two albums, like the first album was just their logo, and the second album was like that kind of early '90s, like stock, like black and white stock photography, some like wacky, wacky old timey picture with their logo. And then the third album is Gwen, huge in the front, and the band like way back in the background in a, in a field. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I'm not gonna say that they're bad musicians, but I just don't think the music keeps pace with her. I I think the music. I mean, my biggest praise for this album is the musicianship. I I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say that like random session musicians couldn't have done the same thing, but this group of people are really good musicians. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's not me saying that they're bad musicians. I think it's just like their take on this was just not great, and I don't dislike this album put that up front but i that that scoff fusion just kind of wasn't working i don't know i always had this impression with her voice that it wasn't quite right for ska that it worked in a concept but it wasn't the way that she inflects is not like let's say that like save ferris version of come on eileen like i i, I associate that with much late later year ska and that, yeah, because that was like late nineties. Yeah, Scott, when Scott got just absolutely fucking unlistenable. <laughs> but the woman who is singing has a voice that is very in tune with the instruments, and I think a part of ska is a reference to scat, in that your vocal range is in harmony or mimicking an an instrument that could be in the band. It, it's very. It yeah, that's what scat is. It's just like mimicking the sound of a horn and making it your own. And Gwen Stefani can't do that. And that that's always I think what set me apart with No Doubt is that like it, they don't really fit in ska because she isn't that. She's not trying to be part of the music even even though she is trying on this album. Her voice is just too uniquely hers. And it is not melding with the music that they want to make. And that's a sound. And her voice isn't bad, which is why I think the, like, the comp, the, like, the, <laughs> the label would be like, hey, you should maybe just not do this and do something else. And that's totally legit. So. Oh, so I was going to say, since I talked about the sort of the numbers on the first two albums, this this album is certified diamond. <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good it's album. a hugely successful album. They released seven singles off of it, which I think is overkill. I don't know that I would say there are seven songs on this album that should They're be re- five good songs. enough to be released as singles. But yeah, um, so the first single was, uh, was Just a Girl, and that one hit. Actually, no, I... Yeah, okay, that one came out first, I, I think. Just a Girl was the I video that I remember if Just a Girl or Spiderwebs. I, I thought Just a Girl came first, though. Just a Girl is the video when she's looking up and he goes, I'm just a girl. And she's like, she's like looking in those like weird fisheye lens like up at the camera. Yeah, I remember her looking like a Bratz doll in that video. Yeah. That's like all I can think of with that. Um, So Just a Girl went to number 23 on the the Hot 100 and number 10 on the Modern Rock charts. So it was, you know, it was a big breakout single for this band that had been basically unknown by a mainstream audience before. And then they followed that up with Spiderwebs, which is maybe the most just straightforward ska song on the album. Um, And that one went to number five on uh, the, wait, was that Spiderwebs? Yeah, number, that one went to number five on the modern rock charts. I don't, I don't have the number for that on the mainstream chart. But so anyway, they, you know, after just a girl, they just took off 
bigger than ever. Um, and then, of course, Don't Speak was like the huge, massive killer hit off this album, which <laughs> is one of my good. least favorite songs it's on the album. It's not a good song. <laughs> it's, it, a lot of people called it a hair metal ballad, which is... It is. It does sound a lot like Aerosmith. <laughs> um, so I, I, I kind of feel like the less said about Don't Speak, the better. Like, I feel like the only good thing to say about it is it's a, it was a just colossal fucking hit. Was Excuse Me Mr. a single? Because that yes. was very good. Excuse Me Mr. is the best song on the album. I fucking Hell love yeah. that song. Hell yeah, Natalie. We are in agreement. <laughs> For once, we actually agree on the best song. Is Yeah, it's like a power pop song that fucking breaks out into New Orleans jazz on the bridge. Like, that, the I mean, that's that the. There? That was really shocking to me listening to this because I just kind of thought, oh, yeah, no doubt. They're like a ska band and then they kind of did power pop and no big deal. And then that song is like just nonstop hooks and then all of a sudden it's fucking ragtime jazz on the chorus and i can speak from an an adolescent perspective on this song it's a great song to be pissed to like just excuse me mister you've got me all wrong you're like fuck yeah i will say the lyrics to that song are terrible (laughs) it's like it's the lyrics sound they were written by a 14 year old which, I mean, I mean but, they might have been, honestly. Like they were, they were still pretty young at the, the time this album came out. But but I mean, that song hit well when I was fourteen years old. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock it because of of the songs that I kept. So I, I whenever we, my parent, my, my parents bought this album when it came out, and it was very present in my life. Obviously, you know, living in Dallas at the time it came out. And my dad would just have it on. And when we played D&D, so this is my, like, you're a sad nerd who doesn't have any friends. I played Dungeons and Dragons with my parents. Because my dad wanted another person to play with. And I was an available body. And so I learned to play Dungeons and Dragons. And he would always have music on in the background. And this album came up a lot. It was like this and that album from Alanis Morissette that has... Uh, ironic on it. Uh, yeah, jagged little pill. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it was like this and jagged little pill. Uh, but excuse me, Mister, always happened. Always seemed to come up in the playlist when I was about to just throw down in D and D. That's a, that's a sense memory I have with that. <laughs> so I want to talk more about just a girl because I wrote a, a mini essay in the notes on that song. Heavens. <laughs> I, a, I found out I had a lot to say about Just a Girl. Um, so, I mean, this there could not have been, like, a, a better case of right song at the right time than this. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas their first album was just absolutely the wrong thing at the wrong time. It, like, that song, Just a Girl, is, like, almost revenge for that. Because Kurt Cobain had died the year before you know grunge was pretty much over by 1995 it, it had devolved into you know bush and and uh candle box and and silver chair and all like just the vastly inferior second wave of, of grunge bands um and so just a girl is the, you know just this relentlessly hooky song it has fucking synthesizers in it you know it's got that new wavy like post chorus section it, it's so here's where the problem comes in riot girl had already happened yep but riot girl's feminism was clicky to some extent or that's probably not the right word but it was very in the bubble you know like bikini kill wrote songs about famous people saying bikini kill sucks <laughs> and shit like that and you know and and would do it and like you know they have a song about thurston Moore, but just it just they just call him thurston and it's like if you don't know that that song's not gonna make any sense to you you had to be an insider to to get the references and you had to read feminist theory to get the references (laughs) and that was a level of investment that was fine for this really insular scene that was entirely in like portland and seattle but and then olympia i guess is actually the main main place for it but but then you have just a girl which comes out and it's saying a very 
you know, Sparknotes version of Riot Girl. And it's probably the best lyrics on the album. Like a lot of the the metaphors hit better, you know, like when she starts off and says, take this pink ribbon off my eyes. Like that's a, that that's actually functional as, <laughs> as, as lyric writing in a way that some of the stuff on this album is just embarrassing. I mean, I remember being very empowered as a, a child with that's all you'll let me be. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Cause, cause Which I is, was, Oh, I was a queer little kid being like, I don't think I'm a girl, but like people treat me like shit either way. And I'm like, that's all that you'll let me be. And I'm like, hell yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Because I was just, I was just done. Was Which is really funny because that sentiment was very much in um, the song, uh, well, Father Ruler, King Computer, and Give Her a Gun by Echo Belly off their first album mm-hmm. are both like a slightly more highbrow version uh like it lands somewhere between bikini kill and and no doubt on on the feminist spectrum and then you know a couple of years later you get this song and then a couple of years after this you get the spice girls who water it down even further and just turn girl power into a slogan that doesn't mean anything except we're girls and uh-huh. girls like us <laughs> Which is fine. I'm not shitting on the Spice Girls. Like, if, I, if you like the Spice Girls, I have no problem with that. It's just from a from a selling feminism to the mainstream. Like, you have Bikini Kill on the far end, and and then it, you know eventually it gets to the Spice Girls, and and that I don't think that that could have happened without this song. No, I like the Spice love- Girls would have happened, but I don't think like girl power would have happened. I fucking love the Spice Girls. Don't let Natalie know this. <laughs> I know. I already know this about you. <laughs> I I just fucking love the Spice Girls. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I mean, like I said, there's there's I have zero problem with the Spice Girls, but objectively, they're the feminism of the Spice Girls is is on a different. Except Mel B. Mel B is legit. Level. Mel- well, yeah, I mean the Spice Girls as a band, like, yeah, like as an image. Do not besmirch Mel B in my presence because I will fight you <laughs> on the moon, my wife. I, I don't have anything bad to say except that I think Baby Spice is creepy. That's a bit, that that's fair. That, that's fair criticism. I also thought Ginger Spice was probably not great. Uh, but people love Ginger Spice, so I'm going to get the hate for that one. Right, so that's my essay on 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 just a girl. Um, it, it's better written than than spoken, but that song is very important and should be recognized for how important it is. Even though it was like the second or third, like the third biggest hit off of the album, it, it, it's really a landmark song of of the nineties. I mean, it really is, and like it, it, it powered me through. Like at the tender age of like seven, I realized that perhaps I was not one of these feminine creatures, and this hit at that same time. So I was just like, "Oh yeah, please help me, Gwen Stefani, because I am fucked." And it was, it was empowering to have that concept of like. Excuse that, and excuse me, Mister. Just like both gave me this like confidence to keep attacking things because I didn't make many friends. I moved around a lot, so music was kind of all I had, and so I can attribute some of my confidence to Gwen Stefani. And like <laughs> that's, and I'm not saying that like your your perpetual shitting on Gwen Stefani uh, has impacted me in any way. But like, I would not I, say that I perpetually shit on Gwen. I don't just walk around mad about Gwen Stefani. <laughs> there was I just a don't time like when, her. when Harajuku girl happened. You, okay, you yeah. did. Uh, yeah. Well, it, she came for she came for my domain. <laughs> I was you like, momus ass motherfucker. Bitch, you've never listened to Shiba Yake. You don't know who Daki Kaji is. But yeah, um, I felt this album was very helpful. In my childhood, I, I, I listening to it now, it's not mixed well. That last half of the album sounds weird. Um, it didn't really stand out to me. I, I did think that uh, the song "Tragic Kingdom," the last song, does sound a little flat. Yeah, which is weird because that's like the most 
I don't want to say show offy, but like as a show of of arrangement and musicianship, that's like the crowning achievement of the album. They were just in a studio that didn't know how to hit their sound because they were just throwing it out and it was not transposed. I don't know, because I think that the stuff that leans towards ska sounds really good. Like Spiderwebs and, and excuse, excuse Me Mister both sound great. So that's the weird thing. So like Spiderwebs and Excuse Me Mister sound fucking polished. Like they're, they're like, ramp it up boys, this is going to be the single. And then everything else just kind of sounds kind of hollow. And You Can Do way. It sounds really good, too. Yeah. The one that kind of sounds like Jim so, I want to give a brief shout-out to the weird fucking harpsichords in Hey You. Why is that there? Because they are trying to sound like the Beatles on that song, I But think? that doesn't work. <laughs> that, I w- so today, it, my entire fucking life, I had never really noticed that. And then today, I was sitting at my desk going like, why is there a harpsichord? When did this fucking happen? This is clearly, I heard this in my childhood. Was it the liminal messaging that I became obsessed with the harpsichord? It doesn't sound good on this album. <laughs> that song surprised me, though, because, it's, you know, it is very, like, revolver, rubber soul era Beatles. I mean, mostly the bass line, but then it kind of gets slightly into the, like, George Harrison Indian like sitar stuff as well oh sure like not to an obnoxious degree like i'm not a fan of sitar but like i like hey you like that song's fine you know it's a it's a fine song i i was just like i had never noticed that and that also impacts the fact that i haven't listened to this album for like 20 years like i legit haven't listened to anything beyond spiderweb or uh excuse me mister for like 20 years and I was like, oh, wow, I did not know that existed. Yeah, uh, Tragic Kingdom was a real surprise to me, that song, just because it's, I mean, it, it literally it's combining ska, there's like some queen arena rock mm-hmm. in there, some jazz, some uh, some straight up metal riffs, like, it just, that was something I didn't even realize this band had like flirted with. No, no doubt it has a lot of stuff in it. Like, that's the the great thing is that, like, people dismiss him as a ska band, which was very readily available in the 90s, that you could just dismiss a band because, oh, it's ska, oh, it's this. And there was a lot of heart and craftsmanship, to, to no doubt. And I think they're let down by some of their production and not an editorial eye on what might be the best. And that's okay because they ended and Gwen Stefani did the solo career that she was destined to do because her voice is incredibly unique and powerful we should rank this album yeah and and just to close it out like we kind of got a little bit gushy about it but also know that like at least for me every song we didn't talk about is boring <laughs> oh for <laughs> like, fucking sure like holy shit this album is good but like 14 the... songs is is too much like, there are some real clunkers in here too there's nothing that i would say is like there's nothing that i was just like i have to skip this except for um uh the climb goes on way too long like that song's six and a half minutes yeah, why and the fuck is it six and a half minutes i fucking made because they want you to feel that climb i guess <laughs> I, I i felt that to clicking the next button yeah, uh, that that song is way too long for like a slow, sleepy blues rock song, <laughs> which also doesn't fit with the lyrics. Just the lyrics is, are this inspirational, you can do it, climb that mountain thing, and then it's like, yeah, like slow, sleepy blues rock. And it, it dovetails immediately into the we're on the road to nowhere. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think this album has a lot of heart in the songs that are good. Yeah, I mean, it fe- it feels like a band who just got proved right, you know? Like, they put the style out there. Like, they didn't sell out. They didn't change... They didn't drastically change their style. Like, they added some new wave elements. They added some, some like, more power pop than what was there before. But they didn't become a different band. Like, they didn't start wearing flannel and become a grunge rock band. They They just kept doing what they were doing until it clicked with people. And, like, that's a thing that I respect. Yeah. Even though I, this is never going to be my favorite band, it, and this is almost certainly my favorite album by them, um, it, I, I I respect what, what they did here. Um, and if I'm shooting for the moon, I would say that I would put this at 26. 
which would put it between uh, Anxiety by Fei Wong and American Recordings Volume 1 by Johnny Cash. Oh, damn. That's a... (laughs) It being above Johnny Cash is a problem for me. Okay. But I can also accept it. Well, if if it's a big problem for you, it's if not you I'm shooting for If you just moon. want to move it just like down a number, yeah, I'll be I, fine with that. I, I didn't, like looking at what's here, I don't think this should go below uh, wherever, the Mary, wherever all the Merrymakers gone. Like, I, I think it's a lot more wide ranging in its styles and musicianship and it's hooks no and i think that that johnny cash album despite not being a you know diamond album has more long-standing cultural hits and just not even cultural I'm making a just... face about that it has way better lyrics i'll give it that <laughs> it's lyrics absolutely crush the lyrics on this naturally it does not like country so let us <laughs> talk about country um so I think it's just slightly worse than that Johnny Cash album. Okay, that's fine. Because that Johnny Cash album is important. And this this album is important. And this this ranking is not bad by any means. Oh, no. I mean, I'm putting it above a melt, the, the one Melt Banana album that we have on the list. I'm putting it above the Swirlies. And I know there are people who, are, who listen to this, album, to this podcast who will be like, you should put that in the top ten. And I'm just like, it's not that it's, great, No, it's not, it's not as good as what we have in the top ten. Like, this is not a better album than Operation Doomsday, which oh, is number ten no. right now. Fucking no. So. And, it, it, and it's okay. Like, it's a good album. And these albums, like, if you were in the top, like, 100 of albums in the 90s, you're a good album. Yeah, what are we at now? 75 albums now. Like, it, it's not everything is going to be in the top 10. Like, exactly. there were hundreds and hundreds of albums released in the 90s. But I, I can see this album being contentious, but I do think where you put it is is reasonable. But I just think that Johnny Cash album is better for the history and the, the power and the impact of that album compared to this one. Right, so I'm fine with it being 28. I, like, I just thought it should go above that Harvey Danger album, and not just because of being dad. I mean, that's fair. I think Harvey Danger is better than this, but, like, that's my own take. Yeah, it, I I don't think it's, like, a huge gap, except I think No Doubt's musicianship is just so much better, and they're so effortless. I just continued listening to Flagpulse at a long <laughs> after I stopped listening to No Doubt. Yeah, it, it, excuse me, Mister. Like that song blew me away so much. Like I was so not expecting the New Orleans jazz section, mm-hmm. and it comes in so smoothly and so. I mean, it's just, it just sounds so natural. It's a thing that should not be natural at all. They make it sound so natural that that moment alone like bumped this up a few spots for me. Oh, because originally I was like, oh, it's probably like better than Pablo Honey, but not much. And and now I'm like, oh no, this blows away a lot of stuff. On the- <laughs> I was actually quite concerned about where you were going to rank it because in some readings it could rank in the top ten, but I, I think there's I, too much filler on it for that. Yes. Once, one, so that was my concern going into it and then listening to it again. I was like, oh, so many of these songs I could just do without. And that, that, that's where it is, where it is. Like, it, it, it's, it's good. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I think that like being in the 20s at this point, it means you're very good. Exactly. So I, I was not, exp- I, I didn't really think that someone who would listen to this show would be like a huge No Doubt fan or a huge fan of this album, but. Like, no doubt. I, I'm surprised that I like it as much as I do. I, like, this is something I will keep listening to. <laughs> no, no, Treasure Kingdom is one of those just albums that is good. And you just have to accept that. Like, even beyond your genre criticism or whatever you listen to, you have to be aware that Spiderweb, I'm Just a Girl, uh, what's the other fucking one? Uh... Don't speak Sunday morning. Sunday morning. We didn't talk about that one. I like that one. Yeah, that one was was like one of the better not hits. But yeah, uh, there's stuff here. Listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Give it another. Give it another listen if you haven't listened to it in twenty years. Like uh, me, you you might be surprised. All right, so that goes at number. Tw- it's uh, Tragic Kingdom. We'll go at number twenty eight between American Recordings Volume One. 
uh, and Where All the Merry Majors Gone by Harvey Danger. And we'll put that on the list and come back to talk about Switchblade Symphony. to talk about our second album this week, which is by Switchblade Symphony from 1995. It is uh, Serpentine Garden, and this is our first Cleopatra release, but far from our last, because man, was Cleopatra a prolific label. Hell yeah, it was. All right, so Switchblade Symphony is a San Francisco duo of Susan Wallace and vocalist Tina Root. And I'm going to do an aside here that Tina Root's style was the infinitely most emulated style I have ever seen in my life. Did they start the sort of like candy-colored Dreadfalls goth look? I believe, I like. there's probably someone else who did it, but like, as far as I'm aware, people who look like your sister who did when I first met her, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is like mall goth like early Molgoth. For sure. And like their look wasn't Molgoth. They were doing what they wanted. They did have dreads, they had dread falls. Very baby doll, like cutie skull on my cheek. Yeah, well, very Courtney Love. You know, they wore like the sort of raggedy looking baby doll dresses and corsets and shit. Oh yeah, they're they, very they just gothed up Courtney Love's look. The they pretty much in this album can be attributed to just gothing up that kind of girl grunge which is okay that's totally fine yeah there was a space for it see also jack off jill yes i like switchblade symphony more than jack S- off jill switchblade symphony's music is much better than jack off jill's music this is very true uh a, a good shout out is that the song uh gutter glitter was used on the recent show the belay brothers dragula which i was very excited and which is why i like the belay brothers that's man, that's crazy. Watch Dragula, it's much better than Drag Race, because they actually include inclusive queens. Anyway, um so Serpentine Gallery is Oh Serpentine Garden. I think I said gallery. No, it's gallery. It's oh okay, I wrote Serpentine Garden in my notes. Yeah, it's based off of the uh exhibition hall in the UK. So it's very goth, it's very traditionally goth. They like Susie. They like they Susie a lot. Love Susie. <laughs> And so this album is not perhaps the greatest goth album you're ever going to hear, but if you want to put on something that puts you in a mood, this Switchblade Symphony will put you in a mood. Well, I'm just going to go out and say it now. I think this is the second best goth album we have ranked. I I, I feel that. and it's, it's, it's not as good as Superstition, but I like it more than all the other goth albums we've talked about so far. No, like, I, I feel That won't you. hold up because this is very... A real particular style of goth that lasted for five years. This did not review well. Um, no, music. but that's like saying a horror movie or like a slasher movie doesn't re- review well. Like people who review music hate music like this. Which is fine. Honestly, that's what I was going to say. Is that it's fine this didn't review well because it is exactly what it set out to be. It is a mashup of. Uh, classical stylings with a synthesizer heavy gothic aesthetic uh which is i think is like culminated in the song uh gutter glitter because that that blonde bridge is falling down (laughs) thing is like i am not in a a key tonight but well i'm laughing because like you really have to put yourself back in 1995 headspace to to talk about this album. You do. Because so much of this stuff became like the most like laughable cliches of like mall goths. But in 1995, it wasn't. <laughs> no, this was just straight up like legit the progression of goth because like, well, so we, we covered that Mission album and that was where goth was going. That and Peter Murphy... It was coming into a, like, what the fuck do we do? And then, like, Marilyn Manson came in and we're like, okay, we can't do that because we just can't, we don't want to meet that ante. 
and it's okay they didn't want to and so switchblade symphony came out of out of left field with like what if we juxtapose our synth heavy sound with a classical leaning which i don't get a lot in this album but it, it does enhance in their later work uh which is why people attribute that to their you know overall discussion of switchblade symphony and I don't think this is the best album in the world, but, like, sometimes when you are in the fucking dumps, you just want to hear a girl just dirge over some just like, and this is what this album is. I liked the more industrial moments the best, like Bad Trash, the first song, is my mm-hmm. absolute favorite song on the album. I think that's, like, just a kick-ass song. It is like, a kick-ass song. That, that's the one song on the album that you kind of don't have to put yourself back in 1995 for. Because it just sounds like a front 242 beat with like a classically trained singer soaring over it. Um, it, it it's, I mean, this album is what would come to be known as Dark Wave, basically. Yes. You know, it's it's dance music with goth guitars. This and, was a very pioneering Dark Wave album, in, in fact. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't want to like shoot my mouth off too much about that, but this was definitely like, I would think this was a pretty early dark wave i mean i don't know that dark wave was a term when this came out no it wasn't it got it got retro retroactively attributed to them because they were just a goth band when this happened right and it's so a lot of this album is very just forgettable like dissolve wallflower wrecking yard what are the that's the same song it, it doesn't sound like I, it. No, I, I have to say, Wallflower sounds a lot like uh, a lot like Depeche Mode, and that's not something you get really anywhere else on the album. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for Wallflower over Dissolve, which is just a straight up. I mean, down to the title of Susie's on. Oh uh, yes, there's a so much Susie reference, and that's fine. I, I I wanted Susie's. So there was this this weird like we have to emulate Peter Murphy to be a goth band shit that was happening and i wanted more people to sound like Susie, and then all of these like female like vocal bands were just like i'm gonna do Susie." and switchblade symphony is one of the few that did it correctly because she has the emphasis in the right places which makes me which is why i was surprised when i finally looked into them that they were from san francisco because she was doing Susie's voice so correctly i was like oh you are very British sounding, but I can't really knock that because when I sing, I sound like I'm from England, so it's fine. And, but yeah, there's not a whole lot on this album that I truly love, but I think it's an overall a genuinely, like, decent, like, background goth album. And like It's goth- very good background music. Um, I, I think the only song on it that I would say I just don't like is Sweet. Because it does that, like, it's that, are, are we a hair metal band? We might mm. be. <laughs> like, it, it does that thing that the sisters do that I don't like. And there's a hair, there's a fair amount of sisters in this, too. But it was through a duo using what they had. They didn't have the setup that sisters had. No, I mean, this was a relatively small time. I mean, this is indie goth. Yes. If, if you can call my biggest God, my, such a such a thing. My biggest complaint against this album is that the two best songs are on the absolute fucking ass of this album. It's like Gutter Glitter and Mine Eyes, in my mind, are like the best songs on this album. And they are at the very end. Really, I think Bad Trash blows away every I think Bad Trash is like five or six st- levels above everything else on the I album. I think I've just heard too much goth, because I think Bad Trash is just like every other other goth song but that's probably because bad trash influence all those other goth songs yeah sound like bad trash which i will accept i mean i think front 242 influenced a lot <laughs> oh yes bands and skinny puppy because yeah, that's what that song is <laughs> but, but yeah like bad trash is the quintessential goth song but like gutter glitter is distorted and weird and great and mine eyes is just fucking banging like it's not like it's not gonna like you know the two that i will go to bat for and feel embarrassed about it are clown and dollhouse because i mean 
if you don't understand why I'm embarrassed about that, did you hear the song titles I just said? <laughs> clown and Dollhouse. I'll give you Clown a hate Dollhouse. Oh, really? Yeah, I think Dollhouse is, is really good because it sounds like the Razor Skyline, who also sounds like this mm-hmm. band, and I like them a lot. <laughs> um, I'm more into Switchblade than I am Razor Skyline. I th- see, I think I'm the opposite, too. Like, I think I like Razor Skyline better. Because Switchblade Symphony's whole thing was, oh, we're we're goth industrial but also classical but i don't feel like outside of the vocals there's nothing classical and that's, really about this except for uh bloody knuckles the instrumental it's mm-hmm. the last song like that has a classical a somewhat symphonic feel but they didn't have the gear to, i mean they they could have done big string sections on a synthesizer but they didn't and it's like i don't really see where the classical comes in it's kind of just a goth album yeah, and that and it comes in later in their work. They truly they do bring that back in, but like this first album is just kind of rough. But it's still great, I think. It, uh, it, well, I don't. I mean, I think great is. I would not call it great, but it's it's definitely good. Okay, okay, it is an acceptable goth album, and it is one that you can absolutely turn on. And when I'm at the gym, like Switchblade Symphony is very prominent in my workout playlist. But it's I don't know I don't I'm not I'm not mad at it and I don't have a lot to say about it because there's really not a lot to say no, about it. No, I think we've said quite a, quite a bit. Like the the one other thing is that like I like Gutter Glitter, but and I especially like that song title. And perhaps I had written a song with a very similar title right before I heard <laughs> Gutter Glitter and was like, "Fuck this fucking band." Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But that aside. The, the like, spooky nursery rhyme thing in Guttered Litter is, like, again, like, could not be a bigger cliche now. But it was but whole ass time, my aesthetic when this song came out, or, well, when I first heard this song, which is still in the 90s, like, yes, that was whole ass my aesthetic, so. Yeah, like, some albums don't age, some of the albums we've talked about don't age well, because, like, I mean, Alice in Chains is just not in the zeitgeist now like their whole thing not just that band but like the rough rough flannel hard rock boys who smoke too much is just like not an aesthetic that very many people are into these days this album i would say it didn't age well but that's because the things it did became such cliches and got so overdone done so many times that retroactively it makes this album like hard to listen to because it's it comes off as cringy in a lot of ways now yeah and if if you viewed mediocrely which is i think fair uh because when it came out it was it's very plotting in some ways because like that goth like dirge sound unless you were into that goth dirge (laughs) sound it is not something you want to listen to yeah well they're not as dirgy as like lycia but they're they're dirgy like Susie is dirgy or like a slow industrial track is is dirgy yes. and with with that in mind like i i'm I'm gonna be very like honest with how we rank this because it's it is a good album, and if you want a decent goth album to fucking listen to, like listen to it because which listen to you could do worse yeah i like again, I like this album i I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not an album that I'm going to like proudly go around telling people I like, except on a podcast where all these people can hear however many people actually listen to this thing. So what are you looking at on the rankings? Should What's I? Number 50? Huh? What's at number 50? Lovey by the Lemonheads. I was going to put this at 50. Um, Trying to think back to that Lemonheads album. I know that there were a couple of songs on it that I liked better than anything on this. But I don't think it had the consistency. I mean, I think some could actually, uh, honestly rank a little bit higher, but I think 50 is a decent place for it. Because it's not bad. It's just not what... It, 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 it is an album that is damaged by time. Okay, so you think this is? Do you think this is worse than Vision Thing? Yes. Okay, I, I think artistically it's worse, but I would much rather listen to it. See, and I, I, I fucking listen to the song Vision Thing so much that like no, 
And, okay. and the more that I listened to Vision Thing, the more I wanted to be higher on the list. So yeah, so uh, it, I don't feel like I kind of feel like it should be below Vision Thing, except that I just like it's it's that clash between objective and subjective of, of like this is just a much easier listen than Vision Thing, but Vision Thing is like more creative. Quintessentially, just that's the goth that existed. I think Vision Thing is in that, that line of goth that has persisted. This this kind of goth is still around, but it is very much like the Crook Shadows like club goth. Yeah, yeah. And then that's fine, because they were very aware that they were playing club goth. So that's fine. Alright, yeah, I'm not too I don't feel too bad about this going above that Lemonheads album because we'll get to It's a Shame about Ray eventually and that'll go a lot higher than than Lovey, so <laughs> <laughs> So this will go number fifty. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, which puts it between Exile by Gary Newman, which I would probably listen to this over Exile as well. Oh, fuck <laughs> um, you. And uh, Above Lovey by the Lemonheads. All right. And if you would like to see our complete rankings, well, first you're going to have to listen to me read the top 10. So at number 10 is Operation Doomsday by MF Doom. At number nine is Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. At number eight is Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. At number seven is Spooky by Lush. At number six is Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number five is The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number four is 69 Love Songs by the Magnetic Fields. Number three, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number two is Get Lost, also by the Magnetic Fields. And number one is Still Nonsuch by XTC. If you'd like to see our complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you'd like to listen to every episode of the podcast, as well as every album that we have ever ranked, you can also search on Spotify for NR1990s, and we'll find both of our playlists and all the episodes of our show. All right, so what are you going to be adding to our playlist next week? Uh, so next week we're going to do AM by Wilco. All right, and I am going to go in a pretty opposite direction to that. And do Nowhere by Ride, uh, first album of theirs from 1990. Hell yeah. And I didn't mention that Serpentine Gallery was switched with Symphony's first album. They yes. were founded in 1989, and then their first album came out in 1995. All right. Well, Which is crazy. That's a, that's a long time to be a band and not have an album. Uh... I think you'll find most bands go that long without an album because most bands never get one. But yep. for, for bands that have for a albums. band that got signed and put out an album, yes, six years is kind of a long time to to play with with no no record deal. That's also the nature of golf clubs at that time. So yeah, yeah. All right. So I know you have a thing that you have to. A thing Ain't, you gotta go to? You know me, the Satanism never ends. Alright, well, let's uh, let's wrap up our goth review then, and, and you can be on your way, and I've already done all the other stuff, so uh, get out of here! Yeah, hell Satan, y'all, and don't be a dick.